Well, hi there, David. Hi, Graham. It is a night tonight, and how are you doing on this night? Uh, I am a little chilly, but glad to be here with you. I'm a little chilly, too. I think my brain's kind of frozen. However, I do have a joke for you. So what do you think it would happen if I was like, eh, I don't want to hear one? Oh, uh, you would throw me for a loop. <laughs> so that's what would happen. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want that to happen, so fire away. <laughs> you know, David, we have a lot of wildlife coming through our yard, mostly squirrels and things, but um, mm -hmm. recently uh, we had a wolf in our yard. You, you had a wolf? A wolf, yeah. In your suburban yard. Yeah. And you know what? I taught that wolf how to meditate. You did? Now he's aware, wolf. <laughs> topical topical seasonally he's aware he's a he's a werewolf he's aware wolf. he's aware yeah yeah um do you want me to rate my own joke i'll save you the trouble sure it's a two it's a two it's a two <laughs> i was gonna say three so uh 2.5 then 2.5 is what i was going for <laughs> you got one for me i got one for you okay graham what do you call a cowboy who teaches acting and singing <laughs> Aware like, boy. <laughs> like Roy Rogers. I don't know what. A stagecoach. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> Do you just go to like cowboyjokes.com? Where, where are you finding all no. these? No. Okay. Uh, that's <laughs> that a, a thing. That's a five. Bookmarking that page. Oh, oh thanks. That. Thanks. Uh, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. <laughs> Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show. It's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. Okay. You said yours is kind of long, and I did my you, very short. Oh, right, right. You wanted to... And I'm Graham Pittman. And Graham Pittman. Graham And Sounds Graham a little like grumpy. Man, I'm yeah. grumpy. <laughs> grumpy and grandpa are two things I will be at one stage. Hopefully, <laughs> I will get there. <laughs> well, this week we have a great show for you. Our very special guest on this week's uh, episode, the fourth point five episode, the four point five fourth episode, five four fourth, the, 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 the fifth episode of the fourth season, is uh, Pam Munoz Ryan. Wow. She wrote many great books, yeah. uh, including her new book Solomar. So we had a great time chatting with her, and are excited to share that with you. Of course, this being Woody Window, we also have snack time, lazy words. Story time and a riddle at the end of the episode. That's that, a lot of time. Does that sound sound good? It sounds good. Should we do that? I, I like I like the way this episode's headed. Okay, good. Good. So so you're good with it then? Uh, yes, correct. Okay. Cause I was worried, like, what if Graham comes in to the episode this week and he mm -hmm. thinks to himself, I don't like how the episode is headed. Right. And I think I'm gonna switch it up. And yeah. I'm not gonna tell David. I'm just gonna switch it up. Instead of story time, it just it becomes uh, nonfiction hour. Yeah, or no, it just becomes. Um, I can see like facts in. about boat building. Well, actually, that sounds pretty cool. We're both we're both dad age, so yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, yeah, it's like maybe we should have cobble boat. your own shoes. Maybe we should have cobble time. Cobble time. Hmm. Each episode is a different thing. Like boat time, cobble time. <laughs> sounds like another podcast we pencil should start. Minute. <laughs> Okay, you lost me. I don't oh. want pencil minute. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, uh, before we get on to this week's show, we need to tell everybody about something awesome that's happening. You kind of mentioned it last week. Mm -hmm. We have an event coming up with S.D. Smith. Oh. And that is because he has a new book coming out. Did you know, Graham, that his original series, the Green Never series, sold more than a million copies? That cannot be true. And, and it, no, it's true. 
Or at least he claims it's true. A million? <laughs> a million copies. That's one zero zero. I'm already lost. Yeah, it's that many. It's, it's more than a hundred. There's more zeros than you can count. There's more zeros than I can even think of. <laughs> well, from S.D. Smith comes a brand new story with an old soul. The can't miss first adventure in a thrilling new series. It's called Jack Zulu and the Waylander's Key. And it's an enchanting adventure in the tradition of people like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, but also Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. But this fantastical huh. journey launches in rural West Virginia in the 1980s with a half Appalachian, half African kid trying to escape the town he sees defining his small and sad life. Hmm. He discovers a gate hiding a city between 12 realms and finds out where he truly belongs in this surprising and satisfying adventure. And here's a few things that are true about this story. Okay. Graham. S.D. Smith, he wrote this with his son, Josiah. Which I think is really cool. That is really cool. My uh, Rowan and I tried to uh, write a story together tonight, and it did not go well. Um, we were sitting around the campfire. Wait, this is... I, I'll tell you about this later. Not in the middle of this. Not in the middle either. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's a really... It's a truly true family operation, much like uh, Graham's storytelling uh, yeah. attempts. Um, I can tell you, my kids like Jack Zulu and the Waylander Key. Because we got a copy. Hold on. And we've been reading it as a family. And we're just, we're not too far into it yet, but let me tell you, it's good. And I didn't get invited for well, your family story time? Well, you were doing story time around the fire with Rowan. Okay, I see. So, yeah. yeah, schedule of, you know, conflict. Exactly. Yeah. Schedule okay. conflict. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so if your kids love Green Ember, or I don't know, if you're a kid listening to this series of episodes, uh, and you like the Green Ember, then this is a great book for you. And unlike David, I haven't read this book, but I have seen the cover and it reminds me of the 80s and the 80s were a cool time and this book looks cool and I'm excited to get it at the event uh, that we are going to put on. I'm going to get right. a copy. I'm going to have Sam sign it. That's right. So if you are anywhere within walking, boating, running, Flying, uh, bicycling, uh, penny farthing, ballooning, ballooning, yep, ballooning, swimming, swimming, crawling. Uh, a pony riding. If you're within crawling distance, you might as well just walk, but yeah, you might as well, but you know, so November 20th, we are going to be hosting a launch party here in Concord, North Carolina. So if you just go to goldberrybooks.com, you can find the link to sign up for that and buy tickets. There's only a few tickets left. We're well over like half sold at least. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to come, make sure you grab those tickets. If you for go to, yeah. If you go to Goldberry books, you'll see scroll around, you'll see a picture of Sam's face and there's a button near that. The tickets are very cheap. They're $5. Um, if you want to come and see Sam, he's going to be singing. Uh, I think he said he's going to do at least 45 minutes of dance. Yeah. Right. Like pure tap dance. Yeah. And I think maybe some Irish dance, maybe some Irish dance. And then maybe he'll read a little bit from the book and do some games and things, but mostly dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, although maybe we shouldn't talk too much about the dancing in case he decides not to do it. Oh, yeah, which he probably... There's always a chance that okay. S.T. Smith will decide not to dance. We will ha we, we'll just say right now, uh, he doesn't know he's going to be dancing. But we're planning on we're, asking him We're to planning dance. on yeah, asking yeah. him. Yeah. So it's going to be like a little bit of a cross between the S.T. Smith Variety Hour and, and a live Withy Wendell show. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. going to be really fun. But if you can't make the show, you can still get the book, which is on pre-order right now. Ooh. It officially mails on November 15th for those who are not coming to the launch party. So if you just go to jackzulu.com, J-A-C-K-Z-U-L-U.com, you can go buy your copy and sign up for the newsletter and all kinds of stuff. Awesome. So do that. Jackzulu.com. I fully anticipate that Jack Zulu, at some point, we will be saying also sold a million copies, <laughs> which, as far as I know, is one zero zero. It's one with a million zeros after, right? Is that right? 
Okay, everybody, we're gonna have snack time in a minute, and we're gonna take a break so I can teach Graham some basic math. So we'll be right back. Million snacks. Okay, we are back. I uh, I corrected Graham's. Um, you know what? It was hopeless. Never mind. I didn't really get very far, but I tried to, to correct Graham's math and teach him some things, but he's going to have to go to a remedial course with a, with a true math teacher. That's story of my life. Remedi- <laughs> well, I need a remedial course for every subject. Well, I bet you won't need a remedial course for what we're about to eat. We, it's snack time. And our friend, Brandon LeBlanc, LeBlanc, I don't LeBlanc. think you're supposed to say it, LeBlanc. He, uh, <laughs> he sent us some snacks from... The west of the Mississippi, I believe. That's correct. And so I've got this box here. I'm going to grab it and then we're going to open it. It is a themed box. I've looked inside it. I may have already opened a few of the things in there. Okay. Uh, but you'll notice just by a, a cursory glance that everything you're seeing is green. So why don't you pull some things out of there? That's not that's not green at all, Graham. Well, that one's not. The first but, thing I pulled out is blue. Okay, well, that's not green. But that, And these are tortilla chips that are Texas shaped. Well, they were. I think some of them broke. <laughs> yes. I think some of those broke in transit. Here, you want to open those? Because okay. who doesn't... These, oh. these tortilla chips are, uh, yes, Texas-shaped uh, tortilla chips, and they go along... Which, honestly, Texas just looks like a broken chip. <laughs> <laughs> and they go along with this salsa, which is green. Hatch green chili salsa verde, mm-hmm. medium heat. Oh, I would eat... I'll eat this. You may have to carry this episode because I like um, hatch chili salsa verde. Do you? Of, yes, very okay. much so. Okay. And so, as you can see in the in the uh, rest of the box here, uh, everything is Hatch green chili. So Hatch green chili tortilla chips. Yep. Made from organic. Oh, these are open. So this would be like Doritos, but Hatch green chili. Um, oh my and, goodness! And yes, our friend uh, Brandon is from Louisiana and also Texas. Yeah, he lives where in, Hatch green chilies are a big deal. Lives in Tejas. I can't remember if. Uh, he's told me about them before. Uh, he's the only reason I know about Hatch. I'm sorry that I'm just chomping away on these into the microphone, but they're delicious. <laughs> Did you try them? Uh, yeah, that's why they're open. He <laughs> he uh, previously, uh, in years past, has brought me many, many bags of those. Okay. This last thing here is Hatch Chili and Sweet Lime Sandwich Cookies. The perfect mixture of sweet and heat. It yeah, says. Did you try these? You'll notice those are open as well. Did you try them? Uh, yes. Okay. Because my wife came into the room the other day and she was like, what are these delicious things? And she'd and been eating snacking like, on are them? Are we supposed to have those open? But I didn't eat them because I wanted to save it for the podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll blame your wife then. I did not open them. It was definitely your wife. Um, so hatch green chilies, uh, uh, I believe they're from, wow. New, from New Mexico. These smell so limey. Well, they have lime in them. That's why. Not to be confused with blimey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know so hatch chilies are kind of sweet, kind of smoky, grown in the southeast. Uh, uh, yeah, and I'd never had them until I was introduced. Well, I've never lived in Texas or, or, or New Mexico or Arizona. So I'm sure all of our listeners from there are like, yeah, duh. Uh, of course, they're amazing. Um, this is incredible. Yeah, it's kind of like gingery and limey cookie. And then like, so at first you have the, the lime and it smells a lot like lime. Yep. And as you're eating it, the back of your throat gets a little bit of the spice. Yeah. This is... Um, it's quite a cookie. It's one of the seven wonders of the world, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, yeah. 
And it's got delicious. a nice pattern on it. It's a great cookie. So shout out to our our really good pal Brandon and his whole family. Yeah. Um they moved to Texas from here. Uh, and they work with you. Well, they lived in Texas, then they moved out here, and then they got to know us, and then, and then they, they moved, moved back. back. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but, he still, but then he sent us <laughs> snacks, so it's confusing. But anyway, thanks to him and uh, yeah. Brandon. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to eat this seventh, seventh wonder of the world. And uh, we can't promise there will be any left when we return. All right, well, we are back from snacking, and it's time for... No, David, I got to stop you. If you bring up if you bring up the hot graham crackers again, uh-huh. I'm going to be upset, and I want to reiterate, I never <laughs> said they're, de- they're delicious. So if you do that... I think... Yeah, you might not have said they're delicious. I think you, you definitely think that is delicious. And guess what? I posted what? on our Instagram a little, um, a little story, mm-hmm. a little video, this clip that we did last time with mm-hmm. a picture of some graham crackers in a cauldron. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. uh, and yeah, most people were like, no, I've never heard of this. But yeah, I got to admit, there was a couple people that said, yep, this is a thing. So I stand corrected. Vindicated. I'm vindicated. And my mom texted me and she's, because she, I guess she was listening. Yeah, yeah. I told you she would be listening in the car and, and laughing. laughing. Yeah. Okay. So she texted me and said that she had forgotten about hot graham crackers. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a couple of people said, yeah, this was a thing. I don't know them personally. Probably liars. Well, I mean, I paid like 700 people to. Oh, and only two. To spread. Only two no, said. No, 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 different places <laughs> on the internet. Because if it all goes to the same place, then it seems okay. planned. But if you just kind of spread it across the internet. The misinformation. Places, yeah. yeah. Then it'll eventually come back around and there'll be like, there'll be like a lot of people eating hot graham crackers. I've heard uh, that the internet is very good for mis and disinformation. So good job contributing to that. But this but is. Also information. <laughs> this is not what I was going to say. Uh, back to snack time. Um, not about hot graham cracker time. Okay. Okay. We're coming up on Halloween. Yeah. Last year, we talked about our favorite Halloween candies. Uh I'd say we should do something similar, maybe next episode, but as a precursor, Mm -hmm. let's just dip our toe into the Halloween pool. Do you have a (laughs) Halloween candy that you think is really underrated? Well... Or is there one you so, like that that other people are like eager to get rid of? Is this like a situation where like Rowan doesn't like Reese's peanut butter cups, mm-hmm. but everybody else does? Mm, maybe. I mean, if you no, okay. So yeah, I would say it's just like one. Maybe most people don't like. It's okay. the opposite of that. Um, I don't know. I okay, because I, mean, I was I, thinking about this, and I was uh, I was thinking about those um, uh, circus peanuts. Yes, which I do not like. So I, I think you're in the majority. Like 90% of people are probably like, no, thank you. And I'm like, give me all of those, please. Uh, <laughs> but that's not really a Halloween candy. Um, yeah, I guess that's But true. I do love those um, mini fruity Tootsie Rolls. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the fruit chew. Yeah. yeah oh, I love and those. I, yeah. Oh, you like it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think fact, that's I'm, an underrated one. The great one. thing is, yeah, they're underrated and they're not available as easily everywhere. Oh, that's which is true. Kind of like hundred grand, which is the mm. other one I like. That's not. It's a little bit harder okay. to find year round. That is an so. underrated one. Yeah, because it's like crispy and caramely, yep. and chocolatey. Yep, it's got it's multiple like textures. Yeah, and, and people don't talk about it. Right, exactly. And we already went through how many zeros are in a million. So <laughs> talk about hundred grand. How many zero bars are in a million? 
How many millions of zero bars? How many zero bars are in a million? Yeah. Can how many you know zeros the zero bar? does it take to get to a million? You know the zero bar? I, I do know the zero bar. Yeah. yeah. If you had a million zero bars, would you just have zero? You know what, Graham? You're making me do a lot of mental work, which is not the point of lazy words. Lazy oh. words is a segment where we celebrate things or laugh at things that are lazy. Last are lazy. week, we uh, we posited that scarecrow is a particularly lazy word because it is. And with weeks of reflection. I still agree with myself. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> so the kids uh, um, were requested to come up with a new word for scarecrow. Yes. Uh, and they did so. Emily okay. came up with pro-grain, <laughs> the protector of the grain. And she even gave an example. Kids, look, there's the pro-grain. <laughs> the pro-grain is pro-grain. <laughs> the, the advertisement writes itself. For the grain. Against all Corvid's insight. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Emily. Uh, Olivia. Olivia thinks it should be called Hey Man. <laughs> Which I like that. Like, Hey Man. They do look like they're kind of waving. Like, Hey Man. Um, or they don't have arms at all. Uh, Olivia also says, I've never heard of hot graham crackers. I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, uh, Olivia, we're not friends anymore. Anna said, Strawophobia. Mm. Uh, Lucy says crow nightmare <laughs> Crow uh, dream The Nygards think it should be called Farmer's best friend That's nice that That's a very friendly And it's a lot better than Scarecrow uh, Yeah like the, it's like the, In fact it's like the opposite Whole vibe Alright Gideon This is a good one Garden guard Yeah The Gardenian <laughs> uh, Carolyn thinks it should be called Peaceful gardener And mm. Baron thinks it should be called Straw man chupacabra <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's excellent okay do you have a lazy word for this week there graham all right this week say you're going on a uh, a nice walk okay so you're going you're going to check on your scarecrow make sure it's you know in the field yeah, yeah it's got its hat is still yeah. there yeah because if it doesn't if it's not still standing or it's lost some of its yeah. you know costume then how can it scare crows away it can't right it would just be a pile of nonsense in It'd the be field a crow friend anyway a crow friend. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so uh, you're walking out in the field. Yep. You're adjusting the scarecrow hat. Yep. You're checking on the corn. That's you what know, it does. Counting the kernels. Yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah. farmers do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You look yeah, up in the sky. Definitely what they do. You look up in the sky. Nice cloudy day. Misinformation on farmers. <laughs> <laughs> but out of the corner of your eye, those clouds are looking a little dark over there. Uh, mm, oh, they're in, rolling in. In the west. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. coming over the mountain. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which is fine. You're you're good with that. You need some yeah, water. You need some water. You need right? some water. Yeah, yeah. But you turn around. You're looking at those clouds, and you say, "Looks like the rain clouds are coming." Yeah, that's it. Looks? Nope. Like? Nope. Oh, rain cloud. Rain cloud. Oh yeah, that is late. Rain cloud. Mm. So we've got a couple different kinds of clouds, right? You got your cumulus. You got your stratus. <laughs> cirrus. You got your cirrus. You got you your got the nimbus, big fluffies. And you got your rain. Rain clouds. Clouds. Just clouds yeah. full of rain. <laughs> just ready to dump the rain. It's on you. it's uh it's a strange one. Um yeah. because yes, those clouds do you know, they the rain does come from them. But I, I don't know about you. I think that's a pretty lazy word. I think it is too. I mean crows scarecrows also scare away crows, but that doesn't mean it's not lazy. Doesn't mean it's not lazy. So kids, we need help. So then how should kids solve our problem, Graham? They should write us in at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com podcasts at goldberrybooks.com and then if you're one of the lucky ones graham might even reply to you <laughs> <laughs> i try my best uh 
And also, uh, keep sending us drawings. We've got a couple of you, David, in a bowl of milk getting chased by a angry graham cracker. I'll show you those in a little bit. Very funny. Um, and then uh, we are about to do story time. And again, we would like to hear some feedback on how you guys are liking story time. It's a little different this season. That's right. That's right. Hey, Graham, I've got an idea. Why don't yeah. pay, why don't kids draw you as an angry rain cloud? Okay. <laughs> Dumping on a scarecrow. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. And and where are you? You're you're like in oh, a I'm, nice cozy cabin. Yeah, I'm eating the, your I'm milk. In cabin. <laughs> I'm in I'm in the cabin and I'm uh eating corn on the cob because I oh, yeah. plentiful harvest. You worked hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right, well that is the end of Lazy Work. <clears throat> hey, I'm just gonna give up. See what I did? Yes. See what I did? That's the end of Lazy Words. We'll be back with story time in just a minute. All right, Graham. We are back. It's time for story time. Yeah, can't wait. It's my turn to share a story. So this week's story is going to be from Andrew Lang's The Red Fairy Book. Heard of it? Uh, Heard of it? And it's going to be a story called... The true story of Little Golden Hood. Oh, I can't wait. Wait, what? Whoa, what's that? Oh my goodness. This again. Hey, boys. Is that Glenn McCarty again? Sheesh. He keeps showing up on, I mean, unannounced. I mean, hi, Glenn. Hey, more trivia. Okay. We have another outlaw question here. Because most of the great Western trivia is just about outlaws anyway. Yes. Okay. What outlaw, Glenn McCarty? Wore socks over his boots during his robberies. <laughs> that is so tacky. Um, A, are you ready? Yes. A, Black Bart. B, Clay Allison. C, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe Jackson. <laughs> or D, Sundance Kid. <laughs> shoeless Joe Jackson. Well, Shoeless not, Joe. Not sockless. He, yeah, well, and also, like, Shoeless Joe, he, this is about who wore their socks over their boots, not who right. didn't wear yeah. boots at all. No, it's right, yeah, unless it was just a really terrible nickname. Yeah. But um, he did steal bases. That's true. That, that's is that true. robbery? Is have, that robbery? He stole other stuff, too, it, kids ask your parents. But <laughs> I have a lot of questions about um, wearing socks over your boots. Is the idea he took his socks off, then put his boots on, and then put his socks on over it? Or did <laughs> yeah, he have second, extra socks in his back pocket? Of socks. He puts them on over his boots because if he does the first version of that, I'm a little worried about blisters. Cowboy boots, notorious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if yeah. You're outlaw, you're probably running during a bank robbery. Yeah. Ooh. What you think? Uh, so a lot, not much common sense. I think I don't see the upside to wearing socks over your boots. Um, <laughs> it's a great. Is it because he wanted to protect his boots? Ooh. Perhaps. Maybe they, he didn't want people to see the tread, recognize his tread, <laughs> the tread of his cowboy boots. <laughs> Is it, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm going to go with, did you say Black Bart? Black Bart A. Sure. Let's go All with right. that. That's a, that's a good name. Ding, ding, oh, ding. Oh my word. Wow. Black Bart. Okay. Or socks over his boots so that he couldn't be tracked. Yes. He considered himself, Glenn, a gentleman outlaw and enjoyed Ooh. taunting his victims by leaving little bits of poetry behind and empty strong boxes to confuse those that would pursue him. Those were the days when the outlaws wrote poetry. I know, I'm, right? I'm, now, I'm, Civilized outlaws. now I'm thinking Black Bart might have had like a monogram of his initials on the soles of his boots that he needed to cover up. 
He's that type of person. He's that kind of guy. A picture is coming <laughs> together about who this man is. <laughs> Phoebe. These are hard questions, and Glenn is mopping up. Two for three so far. Yes. Which is in, in this standard of just a flying, flying passing. I would be zero yeah, for three, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, why don't we do this for you? We should have made it a competition between the two. No, nope, no, nope, I like nope. that. Okay, Glenn, here's the next one. There is a famous gunman and uh, figure in Western lore named Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday. Now, Glenn, what kind of doctor was Doc Holliday? Hmm. Was he A? I think I know of, this. Okay. Can was I he, just, can I be bold here? You can. I think I know this. I think I read a book not too long ago about the, about him and the, I believe Gun, it was the. Gunfight at the OK Corral. OK Corral. Yeah, yeah. Um, was he a dentist? All right, here we go. If, uh, if Glenn doesn't even wait for the multiple choice and gets this right, I'm just going to leave. I'm I'm oh, I'm gonna be so go. I'm gonna be so speechless and upset. He's gonna start wearing socks over his boots. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A a doctor of education. B a doctor of philosophy. C he wasn't a doctor of anything. Or D a doctor of dentistry. Mm. You want to stick with dentistry? Mm, that third one. He wasn't a doctor of anything. I feel like that was like uh yeah he just liked the way it sounded. I'm going to stick with dentist. I'm going to stick with dentist. All right. It's a moment of truth. Ready? It is. It really is. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, oh. At age 21, Holiday earned a d- degree in dentistry from the Pennsylvania College of Dental Surgery. Yeah, not... Uh, then he got tuberculosis and had to leave. Ooh, so That'll do it. Wait, he had to leave the school? Like, did he actually he get his degree? Georgia. Yeah, he got the degree, set okay. up a dental practice in Georgia. And let me tell you, I don't like to think about dental work in the 1880s. No. Then he got tuberculosis and had to go to a drier climate, so he went and shot people in the West. Cool. I'm honestly surprised they had a college for dentistry. Did he shoot, him in, the, did he shoot him in the teeth? Uh, and then do surgery on the, him? That's more about, like, aim than it is, you know, <laughs> anything else. Okay. <laughs> Let's speak of a root canal, man. Wow. What a, what a joke. Well, thanks to Glenn McCarty for uh, stopping by. It was unannounced, but we had a great time. And be sure to go check out his uh, his Kickstarter to, to help the Golden Road of Tumbleweed Thompson uh, get to print this spring. Go to Kickstarter, search uh, Tumbleweed Thompson, it'll show up. Or you can go to glennmccarty.com. All right. You know what? Let's get on with this story because that's, that's what the segment we were in the middle of that segment when we got interrupted. And as I said, this is the true history of Little Golden Hood. Are you ready for this one, Graham? It's like, it's like Red Riding Hood. Is there more hood? Can, can, I, can, I, can I read it? Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. All right. All will so, be revealed, I assume. So here's how the story goes, according to Andrew Ling. You know the tale of poor Little Red Riding Hood. Ah. That the wolf deceived and devoured with her cake, her little butter can, and her grandmother. Well, the true story happened quite differently as we know now. Mm. And first of all, the little girl was called and is still called Little Golden Hood. Secondly, it was not she nor the good grand dame, but the wicked wolf who was in the end caught and devoured. Only listen. The story begins something like the tale. You know that story, right? Hold on. The wolf was caught and devoured? I think in the original. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Golden Hood. He's saying this is the true story. This is the true story where the wolf gets caught. I even got the color wrong. Yeah, we're going to find out. Okay. You know, as stories get passed on, sometimes things get mixed up. Okay. So the story begins something like the tale. There once was a little peasant girl, pretty and nice as a star in its season. Her real name was Blanchette, but she was more Hmm. often called Little Golden Hood on account of a wonderful little cloak with a hood, 
gold and fire colored, which she always had on. Sounds like a good piece of clothing. I know, for real. This little hood was given her by her grandmother, who was so old that she did not know her own age. Wow. It ought to bring her good luck, for it was made of a ray of sunshine, she said. Hmm. I assume she means the, the cloak, not her age. And as the good old woman was considered something of a witch, everyone thought the little hood rather bewitched, too. Oh. And so it was, as you will see. One day, the mother said to the child, Let us see, my little golden hood, if you know how to find your way by yourself. You shall take this good piece of cake to your grandmother for a Sunday treat tomorrow. You will ask her how she is, and come back at once, without stopping to chatter on the way with people you don't know. Right, right. Do you understand? I quite understand, replied Blanchette gaily, and off she went with the cake, quite proud of her errand. But the mm. grandmother lived in another village, and there was a big wood to cross before getting there. At the turn of the road, under the trees, suddenly the wolf leapt out and said, Who goes there? He had seen the child start alone, mm. and the villain was waiting to devour her. At the turn. Well, yeah, you don't just jump out you don't before just, the turn. Yeah, you, on the straight? Never. You're a wolf? Yeah. Yeah. When at the same mo- Are you? Uh, keep going. When at the same moment he perceived some woodcutters who might observe him, and he changed his mind. Instead of falling upon Blanchette, he came frisking up to her like a good dog. Hmm. "'Tis you, my nice little golden hood," said he. So the little girl stopped to talk with the wolf, who, for all that, she did not know in the least. "'You know me, then,' said she. "'What is your name?' "'My name is Friend Wolf. And where are you going thus, my pretty one, with your little basket on your arm?' "'I'm going to my grandmother to take her a good piece of cake for her Sunday treat tomorrow.' And where does she live, your grandmother? Mm. She lives at the other side of the wood, in the first house in the village near the windmill. You know. Ah, yes, I know now, said the wolf. Well, that's just where I'm going. I shall get there before you, no doubt, with your little bits of legs, and I'll tell you, you tell her you're coming to see her. It's quite a coincidence. And she'll wait for you. It's, it's, yeah, this is... Um... I know, it's a... You know, I'd, I'd really be wondering if I was her. But, you know, you, she's a little yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. Thereupon the wolf cut across the wood, and in five minutes arrived at the grandmother's house. He knocks at the door. No answer. He knocks louder. Nobody. Then he stands up on end, puts his two forepaws on the latch, and the door opens. Mm. Not a soul in the house. The old woman had risen early to sell herbs in the town, and she had gone off in such haste that she had left her bed unmade, with her great nightcap on the pillow. Grandma's... So good, said the wolf to himself. I know what I'll do. He shut the door, pulled on the grandmother's nightcap down to his eyes, and then he lied down all his length in the bed and drew the curtains. Okay, so I kind of understand the grandma in this situation. There's been many times where I've woke up, and it's been herb day in the village. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've just been like, just shoot out of house. You know, sometimes I'm still in my my night clothes. Yeah. My night hat. Right, yeah. uh, barefoot. Well, so and, I get and it. The thing is, I, I mean, you wear snow pants to, to bed, so snow pants. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So you're always you're always ready for anything. Yep. <clears throat> you know, it might explain why you sweat so much, but you know, that's worth it for Herb Day, right? The three days a year when it snows here too. <laughs> In the meantime, the good Blanchette went quietly on her way, as little girls do, amusing herself here and there by picking Easter daisies, watching the little birds making their nests, and running after the butterflies, which fluttered in the sunshine. She's having a a good old time. That's right. It sounds like a lovely day. Mm -hmm. Logan, why don't we get some lovely day sounds here? Thank you. At last, she arrived at the door. Who's there? said the wolf, softening his rough voice as best he can. It's me, Granny, your little golden hood. I'm bringing you a big piece of cake for your Sunday treat tomorrow. Hmm. Press your finger on the latch, then push and the door opens. Why, you've got a cold, Granny, said she, coming in. 
Ahem, a little, a little, replied the wolf, pretending to cough. <coughs> Shut the door well, my little lamb. Put your basket on the table and then take off your frock and come and lie down by me. Ye shall rest a little. Good child, undressed, but observe this. She kept her little hood upon her head. When she saw what a figure her granny cut in bed, the poor little thing was much surprised. <laughs> oh, cries she, how like you are to friend wolf, grandmother. That's on account of my nightcap, child, replies the wolf. Oh, what hairy arms you've got, grandmother. All the best to hug you, my child. Oh, what a big tongue you've got, grandmother. All the better for answering, child. Oh, what a mouthful of great white teeth you have, grandmother. Well, that's for crunching little children with. Oh, and the wolf opened his jaws wide to swallow Blanchette. But she put down her head, crying, Mama, Mama. And the wolf only caught her little hood. Mm. Thereupon, oh dear, oh dear, he draws back, crying and shaking his jaw as if he had swallowed. What do you think it was? A boot. Red hot coals. Uh, with a boot inside. With a boot inside the coals? A or the boot coals holding the boot. coals. <laughs> It was the little fire-colored hood that had burnt his tongue right down his throat. The little hood, you see, was one of those magic caps that they used to have in former times mm. in the stories for making oneself invisible or invulnerable or things like that. You know. So there was the wolf with his throat burnt, jumping off the bed and trying to find the door, howling and howling as if all the dogs in the country were at his heels. Just at this moment, the grandmother arrived, returning from the town with her long sack empty on her shoulder. Ah, brigand! She cries. <laughs> Quickly, she opened her sack wide across the door, and the maddened wolf springed his head downwards. That's a that's interesting. Head downwards. Yeah, that's how you answer your door. Usually, well, how I answer when you call. Ha, brigand! Any any time anybody comes a calling. Right. I mean, I just want to be prepared in case someone is a brigand. Hasn't happened yet, but it is he. It is he now that is caught, swallowed like a letter in the post. For the brave old dame <laughs> shut her sack. And she ran and emptied it in the well, where the vagabond, still howling, tumbled in and is drowned, or and was drowned. Ah, scoundrel, you thought you could crunch my little grandchild. Well, <laughs> tomorrow we will make her a muff of your skin, and yourself shall be crunched, for we will give your carcass to the dogs. Oh, dear. Thereupon the, the granny knows how to taunt. I know, that's right. Thereupon the grandmother hastened to dress poor Blanchette, who was still trembling with fear in the bed. Mm. Well... Said she said to her, without my little hood, where would you be now, darling? Mm. And to restore the heart and legs to the child, she made her eat a good piece of her cake and drink a good draught of wine, after which she took her by the hand and led her back to the house. And then, who was it who scolded her when she knew all that had happened? It was the mother. Mm. But Blanchette promised over and over again that she would never more stop to listen to a wolf, so that at last the mother forgave her. And Blanchette, the little golden hood, kept her word, and in fine weather she may still be seen in the fields with her pretty little hood, color of the sun but to see her you must rise early oh the end got kind of creepy at the end there or maybe we should read it like this but to see her you must rise early <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'd say she probably draws a lot of attention to herself um walking yeah, so, through the woods exactly. like just shiny gold like a coin just kind of like rolling down the path yeah, yeah and a hood that if you eat it turns your mouth and yeah. you know so it's your mouth what, but i like how she has um such a distinct piece of clothing that she's known by it you know yeah uh i would be like goldberry hoodie <laughs> goldberry hoodie <laughs> somebody should write that fairy tale goldberry hood goldberry hood <laughs> <laughs> little goldberry hood what about you oh, i just have like a, a mauve sock 
<laughs> Talk about boots. <laughs> Mob sock that way if you try to eat it. No, why would you eat it? If you get kicked by it, um, it turns it, you to stone. Turns you to, okay, okay. No, Some, I like to kick things. I wouldn't like everything I kick turned to stone, like soccer balls. and Yeah, that, yeah. Um, if you kick things that turn to stone, then your foot hurts. Yeah, okay, never mind. I just want comfy socks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that was story time. Thanks to Andrew Lang for writing that one. And uh, Graham, thanks for listening. Yeah. We're about to share our conversation with Pam Munoz-Ryan. Pam is a very successful, very decorated writer. Mm-hmm. She has written uh, over 40 books for young people, including picture books, early readers, and middle grade and young adult novels. She's won a bunch of awards, including the, um, uh, she was a 2018 nominee for the International Hans Christian Andersen Award. Some of her books have even been made into plays. Uh, so you probably know her for books like Esperanza Rising, or Echo, or Manana Land, or her book that came out this year, Solomar. Uh, we had a great time chatting with her. Yeah, I think she's probably one of the most requested authors yeah, that we've ever that had we've on the ever show. Had, and we yeah. finally nabbed her. That's right. That's right. She was wearing her protective hood. We yeah, that's true. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. She's fine. Here's our conversation with Pam Munoz Ryan. On the other side, we'll be riddle time. Okay, well, we are here with somebody who we have wanted to have on this podcast since season one, since we began. And we are so excited to finally make it happen. This is Pam Munoz. Ryan, Pam, thanks so much for joining Withy Wendell. Hello, everybody. I'm really happy to be here. So Pam, as is usual, as is our custom here, we have a lot of questions from the kids. And we start each episode with this question. We tell people it's the most important question that you're going to be asked on this podcast. So are you ready? I, are you, I think are you re- so. Okay. Most important question. Cheetos? Or Doritos? Cheetos. Mm, that was quick. You knew right away. Baked. Not soft and squishy. Oh, baked Cheetos. Okay, yeah. Very specific type. We, we, we got asked this question in the first episode uh, way back when and ever since we've been asking it because it's uh, led to a lot of interesting discussions. Are you, in general, somebody who is a snacker while you write? Not generally, but I am a sipper. I mean, I've always got a mm. cup of tea, a cup of coffee, you know, a glass of lemonade, something. Um, so definitely a sipper. But I also, my office is in my home. So, and the, the kitchen isn't so far away. <laughs> so I'm up and down and up and down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when you're snacking, savory or sweet more? Um, savory and an occasional sweet. Okay, okay. And then... One more food question for you, which these are all questions the kids, the kids all, you know, they love to hear people talk about food. Uh, <laughs> do you prefer cake or cookies? Oh, cookies. Yeah. And, and what's your go-to cookie? Um, I make a kitchen sink cookie. Uh, that is kind of my go-to that I make all the time. And it has coconut and um, dried cherries and it has macadamia nuts and oatmeal and chocolate chips and white chocolate chip. You know, I mean, so... It's like everything but the kitchen sink. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds delicious. Okay, before we get into the rest of these questions, could you give a quick introduction of who you are and and what your work tends to be about and some of your your titles? Because, you know, there's going to be some kids who who, uh, have not necessarily read a lot of your books, but how did you get into writing? And and, uh, just give us a little quick, like, you know, the quick elevator pitch of of your work, if you would. Just kind of, it's better when they hear it from you. 
Okay, well, um, I'm Pam Munoz Ryan. I started out uh, writing uh, many years ago, almost 30 years ago, writing picture books for children. That was my avenue into the writing world. I did a number of picture books, um, and kids can see them on my websites, more notably Mice and Beans and the Tony Baloney series and different different things like that. Um, I had a wonderful editor and agent who suggested that I write try my hand at a novel. And so I began writing novels. My first novel for children for third and fourth graders was Writing Freedom, then Esperanza Rising, Becoming Naomi Leon, Paint the Wind, uh, Echo, The Dreamer, Suelo Mar, Manana Land. So um, I progressed. And then, of course, I've also, in between novels, written picture books for older readers, like When Marion Sang and Amelia and Eleanor Go for a Ride. I'm very intrigued. A lot. Um, some of my work is historical fiction. I'm very intrigued by little-known stories mm. in history, as you might know. So um, when I find out something that happened that's um, totally intriguing that maybe most people don't know about, then I'm... Um, it makes me even more interested in researching it. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so Pam, what were some of your favorite books as a kid? Well, I didn't become a huge reader till about fifth grade. So I wasn't as fortunate as most of the of your listeners in that um, the, the library in my town wasn't near my, my house. I lived on another side of town. The only thing available to me, um, and it wasn't until the summer before fifth grade, um, that I began going to this little tiny small branch library. Looking back on it, I realized that the collection was probably very outdated because a lot of the, the books that I read had been written um, many years before, had been published many years before. I, I went through a period of time where I re read everything that Marguerite Henry wrote, a mm -hmm. lot of horse books, a lot of series books um, from the time period, um, from that time period, but also that were probably 20 and 30 years old only because like I said it was a very small library with a very limited collection so I I started out um reading a lot of um series books and but then you know I I grew into older titles and from fifth grade on I I became what you would probably call an obsessive reader <laughs> so so do you remember like the first in those years do you remember the first book that you were like that you fell in love with that kind of like whisked you away and made you think this is just I, amazing. I mean, I read a lot of classics. I and I never really stopped, you know, once I fell into books and sort of escaped into them, I just never really stopped. I I I can't remember one book. I mean, I remember some books from high school that will probably be much older references than than the people that are listening. Mm -hmm. But I I do remember as I got older reading a lot of Ray Bradbury. Um, and falling oh, yeah. in love with his work. And I also was a huge fan at a young age of the Greek myths and fairy tales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My grandmother had Greek myths in the middle of this encyclopedia. And so I would go to that section that was illustrated and I would read these two or three page um, illustrated Greek myths and was very, very intrigued by them. And of course, always very in love with fairy tales as well. Um, and if you've read my book, Echo, you'll see that mm -hmm. even just writing the original fairy tale was something that was so compelling for me. Mm. Um, so I sort of <clears throat> found my roots there. Well, we have a couple of questions about Echo. And then later on, I have a little um, little quiz for you that's okay. Echo themed. And that's because mm -hmm. 
Uh, there's a woman who works for us at our bookstore named Nancy. She's probably, I guarantee you, she's going to listen to this. She loves <laughs> Echo and she so sells glad. it a lot and she tells people hey, about thank it. Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> so I did an Echo quiz in her honor. So in honor of Nancy. So okay, we're going to get to that in a little bit. I but hope to, I pass. <laughs> well, don't worry about it. It's not, you know, you will. <laughs> okay. um, so you kind of have touched on this, but did you, you said in fifth grader you became you became kind of like a voracious reader an obsessive reader did you always want to be a writer well no because um you have to remember when i went to elementary school many many years ago curriculum was very different and we didn't do things then like the students do now we didn't write across the curriculum we didn't make journals at school we didn't have authors visit our school i thought all authors were dead you know i uh, we didn't um <laughs> We didn't make uh, have family literature nights, any of those things. So I look at what students do today, and I'm sort of jealous because I I see them as being so much farther ahead of me mm-hmm. than I was at their age. Um, so being a writer wasn't something that was presented to me per se as a as a job you could do when you grew up. So I wouldn't say that I always wanted to be a writer. I found out that I was good at writing at about junior high level. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was good at writing, but uh, becoming a writer really didn't present itself to me until much later. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, Pam. We've actually heard that a few times from different authors um, that they <laughs> thought all authors were either dead or like this is something other people did a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so we have a question here from Jessica, and I think it's a really interesting question. Um, she wants to know if you have a favorite mm-hmm. character from your own books. Well, it's an unfair I mean, question, sort of, isn't it? <laughs> sort of like asking you, you know, if you have a favorite child, right? Yeah. So, um, I said that once to a group of children and somebody yelled out in the assembly, well, which one of your children is your favorite child? <laughs> so, um, Certainly when you're in the throes of a book and when you're writing a book, you usually have a favorite. I would I have to say that um, Isabel in Esperanza Rising is the most like me as a child, but I didn't recognize that when I wrote the book. In fact, it was years after the book was published that um, a student pointed out to me, I was visiting a school and talking about my childhood and a student said to me, oh, just like Isabel. And I, it really gave me pause. And I remember driving home from that school and thinking about the character and thinking about even how I described her and what she looked like. And and um, I went home and I called my mom and I said, Mom, do you did you ever think I was a particular character in Esperanza Rising? And she said, well, you're Isabel. <laughs> so um, she seemed to be totally... She, she said like as if she had known that all along. And so when I went back and reflected on the character and what she looked like and her sort of her demeanor in life and her attitude, I realized that that character was very much like I was as a young child. Mm. It just kind of sprang out of something subconscious or something. Well, I think subconscious, we do so much subconsciously, you know, yeah. as, as writers. Yeah. Yeah. Do you... And, um, Yeah, I I wish I could be as brave as some of my characters. You know, when you say favorite character, there are some of my characters that I look at, especially people from history. And I think, wow, I wish I could have been as brave or as as bold or as outspoken, you know, as they were. So you actually, you mentioned history. And we do have a question here from uh, Torin. And Torin asks, if you could go back to any place in time, which decade would you go to? You've got a lot of different, you know, historical... um, 
contexts that you write about and seem to be interested in. But would you, which one would you want to go back to? Oh, which one do I want to go back to? Um, that's really hard. I because looking back on some of the challenges that young women had in previous decades. I mean, yeah. I think it would be interesting to go back just culturally to see what the world was like, like what the world was like in the 1800s when Charlotte Parkhurst came to um, California, you know, um, to drive stagecoaches, you know, uh, during the gold rush. I, I think it would be fascinating and interesting to observe the world at that time. Um, I'm not sure that that I would, you know, it's like, could I go back for just a year and visit and then come back <laughs> to our time period? <laughs> mm -hmm. I I think out of curiosity, I would want to go back to any of the time periods I wrote about. Mm. Was there one that you had the most fun researching? Well, fun researching. That's those two. I know. <laughs> those two. Those a little two bit of oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, sometimes. I mean, sometimes it, it, it research is fun. And it's also a writer's greatest mode of procrastination, right? Because it's just a deep, dark hole you fall into. And, and, and you need to do that. And you need to do the deep dive. And, but, um, you know, I mean, I found the research in Echo really fascinating, uh, the time periods that it's set, and um, some of the things I discovered. But in order to write about the year Hitler became chancellor, I had to find out about the year's preceding, you know, his rise to power. I had to study the Treaty of Versailles and I had to read Mein Kampf and I had to understand why he went to prison after World War One. So sometimes what happens is it's all, it's so fascinating and you're certainly grateful to have not to have had to live through it, but it also really gives you perspective on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is um speaking of of what that topic right there. Bryce is interested. Um he says in your book Echo, well he says your book Echo is one of my favorite books. Um and he's wondering were you already interested in Germany uh during World War II before you started writing Echo or did the story come first and the setting came afterward? I thought I was writing a completely different book. Mm. And when people ask me, how do you get the ideas for a book? It's sort of like a confluence of rivers that come together. It's never just one moment. I was researching a completely different story. Our nation's first successful school desegregation case, Roberto Alvarez versus the Lemon Grove School District. And I was oh, there researching that in Lemon Grove, California. And the docent had pulled all the information on the case for me. She even had yearbooks from Lemon Grove Elementary, and she was flipping through them, showing me. And on one of the pages was a little tiny photograph, black and white photograph of a group of children sitting on the steps of the school, each of them holding a Honer Marine Band harmonica. And as she's flipping through, I said, wait, wait, what's this photo of? And she said, oh, you know, that's back in the day when uh, all the elementary schools had a harmonica band, you know, during the big harmonica band movement in the United States. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, no, I, I don't know about that. She was, oh, yes, there was probably thousands and thousands of schools that had harmonica bands. And anyway, I, I was really intrigued. I asked her to make a copy of the photograph for me, which she did. And I did gather up all the stuff about the court case that I was researching. And um, on my way home, I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about what she said. And I just sort of prayed that it was true. 
that there had been. And then I, I started researching and I found out that there were there were over 2,500 harmonica bands um, wow. in uh, schools around the wow. U.S., in, including Hoxie's band in Philadelphia, which was a huge band of mainly orphan boys that traveled all over the United States and performed. And then I went to Hone, and they also used Honer harmonicas. And then I started researching with Honer in New York, who said, well, if you're really interested in this, you need to go to Honer in Trossingen, Germany, because they have a museum. So I went to Trossingen, Germany, and found out there that they used to have boy apprentices that worked in the Honer factory when Hitler became chancellor. So now I had the potential for three incredible characters. Friedrich in, um, in, in you know in Germany, Mike and um, and Frankie in Philadelphia, and Ivy Maria in Lemon Grove, California. And then I just my mind started leaping. What if one harmonica traveled? And what was special about it? And I wanted to infuse it with magic. And as I'm in Germany, I'm passing signs for the Black Forest, which was Grimm's yeah. forest. Yeah. You know, so it was you know so so many things clicked when I finally got there. That court case that I was researching got a two-sentence mention in a 600-page book. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the story I set out to write is not the one that demands to be written. So Mm -hmm. it seems like Bryce might have been on to something there (laughs) uh, somehow. Um, All right. And then you've probably gotten this question before, I imagine, as well. But both Alicia and Megan uh, were wondering if you also play harmonica. Well, I play harmonica badly. You notice I put harmonica tabs in the front of each section of the book, and I can follow the tabs, but I'm by no means a harmonica player. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear something spectacular, though, the audiobook of Echo um, is really particularly beautiful. Um, the production company won all sorts of awards for what they did because they're different readers for each section, and they hired a professional harmonica p- player who's played with uh, symphony orchestras all over the world to compose the soundtrack and also oh, wow. a pian- a pianist um, for Mike's section, a flutist for Ivy Maria's section, a uh, cellist for Frederick's section. And in the last scene, um, the concert scene on the audiobook, it's a full orchestra and a baritone who sings some enchanted evening. So it's quite spectacular. Mm. So... I was talking to somebody in our shop recently about this book and the, how good the audiobook is came up in conversation. So they were, uh, they were agreeing with you there. So I'm, I, that's, you know, when the author is praising the audiobook like that, you got to check it out. It was everything I never expected. And plus you have to remember it's, they made a, you know, they take it someplace that you, you can never imagined with the music oh, yeah. and the emotion yeah. of the mu- music. And when I listened to the audiobook, I actually cried and I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> so this, this is a question we get uh, we get asked frequently is, um, do authors have any control over the audio versions of their book? Well, uh, the company I work with, which is Scholastic Audio, Weston Woods, I mean, they have done a number of my books and they usually send me samples of the readers and we, my, my editor and I get to weigh in on you know they'll they'll narrow down all the auditions to a certain number you know maybe four to six or three to five something like that and then we all we all are able to weigh in so yeah they they're they're wanting feedback uh, right and that's great want want everybody to be happy i mean we've never really had a dispute you know over the reader yeah hey okay so this is a question here from grace which is also inspired by echo and she wants to know, 
what is your inspiration and then also process for kind of mixing and matching different genres into into one book? It seems like you work in a couple of different genres, but then on the other hand, maybe you don't think about it that way. Well, I mean, Echo is, I mean, as far as the genre goes, historical fiction with a lot of magical realism. So right. um, that just, you know, if you know any of my books, you know that I kind of lean yeah. toward magical realism. So yeah, um, yeah I, I, I don't really think about it that way. Um, mm-hmm. My process, as far as my writing process goes, it's far more of an evolution than a process. I think when people say process, they really want to know what your tidy procedure is, like what you, you know, a list, you know, the order of things. Um, I usually know the scene, the opening scene that I'm going to start with, and um, I introduce my characters and I work on that scene and I um, write. And, and then the next day I go back to the beginning and I rewrite and I uh, edit and I write a little more. And the next day I go back to the beginning and the next day I go back to the beginning. And mm-hmm. I, I always say I'm not a writer, I'm a rewriter. Mm-hmm. Those openings opening chapters get rewritten a lot because I feel like I've got to pull all the threads that foreshadow a lot of the things that are going to happen. And I just keep going that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And sure, if I get stuck and if I'm in the middle of the project, I'll make a list of things that should or could happen, or I'll have a conversation with my editor, uh, you know, and um, kind of regroup. And so I also always, I have that opening scene in mind. I also know the resolution I want at the end of the story. Like I knew that there was going to be that concert at the end of Echo. I knew that Esperanza Rising, there was going to be the reunion between the grandmother. So I'm working towards that emotional resolution, but I don't always know how I'm going to get there. Mm. Do you find that process um, frightening or exciting? Like when you're talking about uh, Echo starting that book and thinking it's a completely different book, but then it sounds like you're very open to... um, to whatever was, possibility yeah. you're out there and exploring and being curious and going to different countries and then seeing signs for forests and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, you spend a lot of time. T- I spent a lot of time talking to my editor too, but I knew fairly early on that it was going to be three stories and that the, the harmonica was going to travel. What, you know, you're asking yourself, I'm asking myself a lot of what if questions, what if, you know, one harmonica traveled between them, but then what was it about that harmonica? Um, right. Was it infused with some sort of magic? And if it was, how did it get there? And, and so I'm, and so then what happens is I'm, I've got stories, you know, I've got, I've got the layout for the, for the stories. And then I realized it's going to be a very big, project you know it's it's going to be ambi- it's far more ambitious than i than i anticipated um so um you know and and how we worked on it we worked on it in you know sections on you know the fairy tale and then the um friedrich story and the you know so we worked on it on sections and edited it in that way as well so yeah so Graham, I want to I want to break tradition here. We usually ask this question towards the end of an interview, like before we go, but I want to ask it now because we're talking a little bit about writing process. And Graham just, you know, I think he just had a bit of a heart attack when I said the breaking tradition. Um, would you have any advice? We have a lot of kids who listen who want to be writers themselves and who are interested in storytelling and things like that. So do you have any advice for young writers who are listening right now? Well, for young writers, I would say... Um, First of all, you know, use your five senses to describe the people, the places that you're writing about. So that it gives your reader a real, you know, intimacy and close sense of that character or that place, especially. I would also tell them to get involved in anything that has to, in any of the dramatic arts, 
creative writing, plays, music. It's all story. Even, you know, when you play a song, when you learn a song, it's all a beginning, a middle and an end and a culmination and, you know, a kind of almost like a circle, uh, you know, so any of the dramatic arts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, are great foundations for understanding the concept of story. For older writers or for adult writers, I would, or aspiring writers, I would say to remember that momentum is far more important than inspiration. And what I mean by that is that the revisiting of the manuscript, you know, over and over again, it, for me, that's where inspiration lies. It, it isn't, has never just kind of poof come to me like, so, and then I write madly for three weeks and I have a novel. <laughs> it has never happened that way for me. Um, for me, it's the physical momentum of revisiting the manuscript day after day after day after day where I find inspiration. Mm. Graham, I just want to say that, that was those were two pieces of advice that I don't know that in, in all the episodes we've ever done, we've gotten that particular bit of advice. Yeah. That, that was super great. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Greg, why don't you ask one more and then we're going to do our, our echo quiz. Sure. Yeah, so this one's from Sabrina. Um, she says, I loved Esperanza Rising. And then her question is, and, and if you didn't like the what's your favorite character quiz, you're, I mean, you're not going to like this You're not going to like this. Um, she wants to know what book that you've written is your favorite. So you can you can answer that. Or maybe we just turn it a little bit and say, is there is there a particular book that you found maybe challenging, more challenging to write? Or maybe was there one that's really memorable for you because of whatever situation? She's asking. I don't mind that question at all, because here's what happens. You you love them for different reasons. And, and, and so it's hard to say favorite because, mm. um, for instance, I'm very sentimental about Esperance Rising because it's about my grandmother's you know, it parallels my grandmother's immigration journey. Mm. It's a work of fiction, but it's tied very closely to family history. You know, I loved writing, I loved becoming Naomi Leon because the par- characters in it are so quirky. And I went to Oaxaca, Mexico. And so when I think about that book, I think about my time there. And then The Dreamer, I went to Chile to, to research Neruda's life. And I, you know, I look at that book and I just Everything about that book has certain memories associated with it. And um, so I, I sort of love them all for different reasons. And I have different feelings about them, different mm-hmm. sentimental feelings. Yeah. And yeah. Echo, all I can say is I look at that book and I think, I'm so glad I wrote it past tense, <laughs> like that, it's, <laughs> that it's done <laughs> and that I did it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is one of those ones you're proud of? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good transition. Let's go to our quiz. Each week, we like to do a quiz with an author. What we like to say is these quizzes are theme-adjacent to the author. Okay. <laughs> so I say it's an echo quiz. That doesn't necessarily mean that it has anything to do with the book Echo. <laughs> Okay. This quiz has more to do with the concept of echoes. 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 Okay. <laughs> and I said, like I said, this is in honor of Nancy, who works for us at the bookstore, and she loves Echo. And so I wanted to just give her a shout out. And also, Echo is a great book, so why not? Um, and then Echo is also an interesting concept. So, Pam, we have five questions for you. Okay. Graham, you can keep score here for me. Because I know the scoring is so important for, for this quiz. <laughs> yes, it is. These, are all, the, these yeah. are all multiple choice. Okay. Okay, Pam. You may know about whispering galleries. Have you heard of a whispering gallery before? No. Okay. So for those of you, uh, for, for people who don't know, a whispering gallery 
is a uh, it's simply is usually constructed in the form of a circular wall and it allows whispered communication from any point of the internal side of the circumference to any other part. Okay, so that sounds like a lot of science there in math. The idea is the sound is carried by sound waves, and um, they travel around, they kind of cling to the wall. So, this mm-hmm. was discovered in the Whispering Gallery of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, which is one of the most famous, beautiful churches in the world. Okay, so this got me thinking. St. Paul's Cathedral is on the River Thames. That's a weird name for a river. It's not even spelled, it's not even pronounced how it's spelled, right? T-H-A-M-E-S. So, what I want to know from you, Pam, is which of the following other weird river names is the best? (laughs) Okay, so like I said, it's only theme adjacent. Okay, here we go. A, Good Morning Bill, a creek in Australia. It's called Good Morning Bill Creek. Kill Me Dead Creek in Australia. Australians, I guess they like to name their rivers weird things. <laughs> Duckabush River in Washington State or the Withywindle in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I think I have to go with Withywindle, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, that's it, kind of a is, no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, Graham, is she right on that one? Oh, well, I'm marking that correct. I already did. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is an interesting one here. You may have heard this, Pam. There is a rumor that some sounds do not echo. So, for example, a dog's bark or the quack of a duck. Have you heard this before? I have not. So some people believe that a dog, the sound of a dog's bark, for example, does not echo. Now, they think that what's probably true is that the human ear cannot actually process the sound of the echo and that in in reality... it. There's no reason that the sound, it's that particular sound itself shouldn't echo. It's something to do with the human ear. But this got me thinking. (laughs) There are some sounds that are so bad, I wish I didn't have to hear them once, let alone multiple times. 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 Mm. So which of these sounds is the worst sound that you would like to not echo? Okay, here we go. (laughs) Classic one. Fingernails on a chalkboard. Mm. B, a poorly played violin. (laughs) <laughs> C, a train screeching on a train track. Famous, which I learned in my research is a sound that is one of the most common, commonly most hated sounds. Or D, the sound of silence. So A, fingernails on a chalkboard. B, a poorly played violin. C, a train screeching on a track as it comes to a stop. Or D, uh, the sound of silence. Are you talking about the Simon and Garfunkel song, or just the silence? <laughs> hey, you can you can make you can read that however you want. <laughs> a good song. Um, okay, I'm I'm gonna say C. Train screeching on a track. Yeah. I actually think this is the correct one. That's my personal. I'm, I agree with this one. You because know how at much least louder the, that is than fingernails on a chalkboard. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then also a poorly played violin is at least evidence of typically practice happening well and um, i played a, i played a very poor violin that's <laughs> totally part of my history so yeah, i'm very sorry. familiar with it and it didn't bother me in the least <laughs> okay so here's here's question three so you probably know that the word echo derives from a greek word which means sound and mm-hmm. echo it you know there's a character in the greek greek mythology which was 
she was a nymph. I think she was a mountain nymph who, if I'm not mistaken, her ability to speak was cursed, leaving her basically only able to repeat the last words spoken to her. Okay, so as if in imitation of this, many children will sometimes do that really annoying thing where they repeat the words their siblings <laughs> say incessantly, 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 right? As if it's the last thing they heard and they repeat it over and over again and they drive their siblings crazy and then they get into fights and then they drive their parents crazy and usually this happens on road trips. I have, Am I speaking from experience? Yes. yes. Which of the following is equally as annoying as that very annoying thing that children do on road trip? Okay. So, <laughs> A, getting stung by a bee. B, getting a flat tire on that road trip while that is happening. C, stepping on that lone Lego in the dead of night. <laughs> or D, when your child uses your toothbrush. Oh, I'm going with C, the Lego in the middle mm. of the night. I will say I recently experienced this, so it has been on my mind. So I will accept <laughs> that as the correct answer. <laughs> It's been on your mind and on your foot. Got yes, it. exactly. Right. Yes, C exactly. is correct. I agree. I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't have a three-year-old asking you why repeatedly. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. That, you're right. I should have put that in there. That was, a, <laughs> that was an oversight on my part. <laughs> okay. Question four. Two more questions. 60% of the way through this, this quiz. So far, you are uh, it's fly, passing with flying colors. Okay. So apparently... Uh, about half of the 900 species of bats use echolocation, which mm -hmm. is a type of sonar. So it's, right. which stands for sound navigation and ranging. So some, some whales and dolphins also use echolocation. So when I was researching echolocation, I heard, I read multiple scientists who described it as a complicated game of Marco Polo in the wild. So you know the swimming pool game where you see someone's yeah. Yeah, Marco Polo. Yeah. Okay. So this naturally got me thinking about the best strategies for playing Marco Polo in the pool. So, Pam, which of the following is the best way to play Marco Polo in the pool? A, mm -hmm. dive under the water and swim around to avoid having to yell Polo when the person says Marco. So that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta hold your breath for a while. B, be that one player who gets out of the pool and runs and jumps to distract the person who is yelling Marco while risking being caught as the fish out of the water. So yeah. be the, you get to be that person. C, be the, be the kid who sneaks as close to the person who is it as possible and risks getting caught. You know, the person who likes to live on the edge. Or D, hide out in the corner like a coward. I would be underwater, A. Okay, okay. Graham, what's your strategy for Marco Polo? Uh, well, I, I haven't thought about this in about 20 years, but <laughs> you're bringing it back to the forefront. Uh, I, I would be underwater as well. Okay. okay. I, I do not understand the person standing close. That doesn't make sense. No, either. I, and I'm a good swimmer and I can hold my breath for a really long time. So. Yeah. Oh, it's a no-brainer right. then. Lung capacity <laughs> for the win. That is the correct answer. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Last question in this uh, this echo quiz. So I discovered during my research on echoes that in 2014, an acoustic scientist named Trevor Cox shattered the world record for the longest ever echo. Oh, cool. He's an acoustic engineer at the University of Salford in Manchester. And he recorded the sound of a gunshot echoing in an oil tank. First of all, this is not the question, but how long do you would you guess that that echo lasted, either of you, if you had to guess? Five minutes? No, one minute. Um... So that, but that's still the longest echo ever recorded. Okay. 
So this is cool, but you know what's really cool? A coat of arms. Like the coat of arms for the city of Manchester where this experiment was conducted. Which of the following <laughs> creatures does not show up on the man the city of Manchester's coat of arms? Okay. All right, here we go. All right. A, a badger. B, an antelope. C, a honeybee. Or D, a lion. Antelope. Is that your final answer? It is. Okay. No, it's actually a badger. Oh. The one, so so the chief, so what this, this coat did, of arms. Did, did I miss the transition from the longest echo to the coat of arms? Was there yes, a, yes. You, was there we tra- all did. We all collectively don't understand what David is doing. This, uh, Graham, that's rich coming from you, Graham. Normally you do these quizzes. So he did it at the university in Manchester. So then I started thinking about the city of Manchester and that got me to the coat of arms because this, the coat of arms of the city of Manchester is actually pretty cool. Okay. So what it All is, right. is yeah. <laughs> there is a ship in full sail, which represents the city's trade with the rest of the world. And then on either That's side of the shield are a pair of supporters, an antelope and a lion, which each are bearing the red rose of Lancaster on its shoulder, which goes back to Henry IV. The lion is said to symbolize bravery, while the antelope stands for peace, harmony, courage, and discipline. And then at the top, the crest consists of seven bees flying over the globe, which symbolizes Manchester's industry exports being taken all over the world. So, like I said, um, it was only echo adjacent. Yes. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, but do we, they need the antelope? They seem like they got a lot going on there. In the in that <laughs> that's, that's true, I would and I would say a badger would be a better choice. So I'm going to mark it down as correct. I, 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 see, I think you should. I'm going to write the city of Manchester and petition them to change it. Right. I'm. Conf- I was a little confused about where they find antelopes in Great Britain. And what's the plural <laughs> of antelope? Is antelope the plural of antelope? Yes, I think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Graham. We got a couple more questions here, and then um, we got our we got our word of the week. Um, you want to do one, or should I? Uh, you can do, uh, why don't you go ahead and do them? Okay. So, well, first of all, let's, I want to ask you this, Pam. What are you working on right now? Are you working on anything new that kids can look out for? Right. Well, um, over the last year or so, so I, I um, finished the, the script for the graphic novel of Esperanza Rising. And that's being illustrated right now by Andre Ferris Martinez. Nice. And it should be out, I think, next year. I'm not sure exactly. We don't have it on a list yet. Um, I also wrote Solomar for, I, I wrote that for Disney. It is, they came to me and solicited my participation. Um, they were, they wanted, they asked if I would be interested in writing an original Latina princess story. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And that came out in February, this past yeah. February. Yeah. And then right now I'm, I'm knee deep in a new novel and mm. um, not sure what the title will be. I mean, as you might know, the title is one of those things that many people get to weigh in on (laughs) at the publishing house. So it's usually, you know, some of my books have had lists of over a hundred possible titles. Um, So, yeah, so I'm probably 150 pages in. It's kind of, it also has a lot of magical realism that actually borderlines and crosses over a bit into fantasy. Mm. So it's, a little bit of a departure for me. Is are you finding that? Uh, is it fun or is it a challenge or is it? I mean, it's fun. I mean, it's it. You know, whenever you do something different out of your comfort zone, it's 
it's all of those things, a challenge, but also fun. And it's just, you know, it's always interesting to make your brain work differently and yeah, um, yeah. not stay that kind of in the same lane. Um, so uh, I'm not sure how it will all in the end come together, but um, I will tell you this about it. It is, the book is framed um, in with the uh, El Nino weather effect is oh, plays a huge part in the, in the story. Mm. That sounds very interesting. Um, and that's, you don't know when that's coming out? Um, I don't. It's not on a list yet. But okay. um, what, what was it like doing the graphic novel for a book that you'd already written? Well, for, well yeah. it was, for me, it was, it, it was great because I already had a story in place. And it, mm. it became a, a formatting issue. Um, I, I reached out. They asked, my publisher asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And, and my editor encouraged me and said, I think you can do this. And one thing I found out is there isn't really an industry standard for the format of how you submit um, just the text. So um, I used Final Draft and read it, wrote it in more or less a play form, format with oh, all the dialogue and the, um, it's still long, it's still over 200 pages. But so it's, um, I had the story in place and it was a matter of me putting it in a, in a format that would work for the illustrator. Hmm. This makes me... Yeah, well, this makes me wonder, would you ever want to actually write a, an original screenplay or something like that? Or, or have you? I I haven't. I've uh, it's always been something that, you know, I've thought about, but I've never really had the time to to really pay attention to it. Um, it's, you know, it's not in my wheelhouse exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I feel like in order to do it well, I would have to really do a lot of, um, you know, I would really need to do my homework as far as figuring out the right approach and the way to do it well. So. Mm. Okay. Graham, I think it's that time. I think it's time to do the word of the week. But did the, did Gargelhauser, the bookstore troll, did he send us a note this week or did he just forget about us now that he's like in the Mediterranean no. or Russia or something? <laughs> he, sent, he sent us a note. He did? Okay. I just checked the uh, I just checked the mailbox and it was right in there. Oh well, that's good. All right. So he always sends us a postcard, but I think he gets confused and thinks it's a telegram because he writes "stop" a lot. <laughs> so let's just see what. <laughs> All right. This way. Okay. Here we go. All right. It says, "Dear Softskins." Well, I'm not so sure about that title, but we'll we'll roll with it. Um, okay. It says, "I found some oil drips heading east." So I'm taking an airplane to China. All right. So he's moving. Okay. Uh, maybe my friend went that way. Stop. Uh, no one will sit next to me on the plane. They're complaining about smell. So they upgraded me to first class. Stop. Well, that's nice of them. Yeah, he, that worked um, out well for him. Eating, eating yucky steak and drinking champagne. But luckily, we'll be landing soon and can find better slops to eat. Okay. Well, all right. And then it says, here's your word. All right. You want to peel okay, it yeah, off? I'll peel it off. And. Okay. Uh, okay. Interesting. He chooses the weirdest words. Okay. This week's word of the week is, are you ready for it? Oxter. O-X-T-E-R. Oxter. So we're going to take a second. We're going to write down what we think this word means. And then we'll come back and. Uh, Share our share our thoughts on this before we unveil what the word really means.
Okay, we are back. Now, our custom is that Graham goes first, and then I'll go, and then our special guest will uh, will go third. So, get the okay. place of honor. So, Graham, what do you think ox term means? <clears throat> okay, so this one was tricky, but I think I think I landed in the right spot. Okay. All right, so Oxter is uh, Oxter. It's actually the latest model of the Volkswagen. <laughs> it's the Volkswagen Oxter. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, and, and it emits what sounds like a low frequency rumble as it goes by, but when the rumble echoes back at you, like when you're walking next to it, it's actually words of affirmation, like you're doing your best. <laughs> That's what you hear when the Oxter drives by. It's the great. Volks, the Volkswagen Oxter. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure you know, I got it. I'm pretty sure I'm right. You know, what's ironic is that mine has to do with transportation too, but kind of in the opposite end oh. of the spectrum because I thought that I'd heard that the Oxter is a special hat that drivers of horse-drawn carriages would wear. It's like a tall bowler hat oh. with special straps that would hold it onto their head. So think like, you know, the helmets that uh, or that jockeys wear? It's like that, but in the 19th century, and it was also a little bit of a top hat thing going on. That's what I thought an Oxter was. Probably derived from something related to the city of Oxford or something. That act, that actually sounds real. <laughs> you could have told me that and learned that today and I would have believed you. Okay, so we've got those two. Those two. What do you think Oxter is, Pam? Well, I was torn. I sort of thought it was somebody that maybe drove um, you know, a, um, a team of oxen mm. or the yoke yeah. that mm-hmm. goes on oxen when they're driving them. So I thought that it may be, you know, so I guess I would have to go with maybe the name for the person that drives a team of ox, oxen. Uh, okay. An oxter. Like yeah. That. That, yeah. That does make sense. Like, you know, oxter. a farm, farmer, you know, like. Yeah. 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 yeah, uh, yeah right. It makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to open this up, flip it over here and. <laughs> okay. So this actually <laughs> has nothing right. to do with oxen uh, or <laughs> transportation or sartorial choices. Oxter is a funny but mildly outdated term for the armpit. Would have never <laughs> guessed. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> so uh, uh, that's this right. week's word of the week, oxter. So if you ever need to, um, you know, you know, talk about. Armpits without, um, you know, being rude. I don't know why talking about armpits would be rude, but you can just talk about the oxter. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> I think I was pretty close. I don't. I don't know. Okay, Pam. Before we let you go, one more question for you. This is from Eliana, and this is this is kind of a tough question. If you had to choose one thing to save from a burning house that is not a person or a pet, what would it be? Wow. Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, ob- I guess obvious things would be to, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if I can think of one thing um, that I would need to have that might put my life in jeopardy if I, <laughs> if I still, um, I mean, I would be sad to lose family photos and I would be sad to lose a lot of my, um, a lot of books but I mean, they were certainly things that I might not be able to grab. So I'm, I'm really torn on that. I, I mean, I think that um, getting out with my life might be <laughs> the You'd one just be thing. Be grateful. On. Yeah, that yeah. would be the one thing I hang on to the most. <laughs> totally if fair. If it couldn't be a family pet or a person, you know, I, 
Maybe an extra pair of socks. A bar of chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) A copy. A copy of Esperanza Rising. (laughs) Well, Um, yeah. I mean, uh, all of those. I mean, that's the thing. You know, books can be replaced, and you know, there's so many things that can be replaced. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, Pam, thank you so much for coming on and ask, listening to our weird questions and our weird quizzes and our word of the week and just hanging out and, and uh, goofing around with us. We really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for your books, of course, as well. To everybody who's listening, make sure you go get Pam's new book. Pam, you said that it was, it's Solomar. That's right. Am I remember that right? It's the brand new one in yeah. Manana Land. Manana Land was the one right before it. So those yep. are my two newest titles. And I uh, read... Solomar and really like that. So I definitely encourage uh, everybody to, to go check that out. So Pam, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to be here and um, happy reading. Well, that was our conversation with Pam Munoz Ryan. We are so grateful and excited that she was able to come on. So thanks to her. Go check out her books. But that brings us, brings us, it brings that us, brings us to, uh, to Riddle Time. It can bing us. Logan, fine. can you put a sound effect here that reminds you of a bing? Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> it does sound like a bing to me. Uh, okay, so it's riddle time. Last week, I shared a riddle mm-hmm. about uh, two men who were in love with the same woman. One was a doctor and one was a bus driver. That was Sherman and Sherwood. Yeah, and they... Uh, or Sherwood and Sherman. And, and then Shirley was the... Shirley. Was the woman, was yeah. Yes. And uh, the bus driver, he had to go away for a week. So yeah. he gave as a gift to Shirley seven apples. Why did he do that, Graham? Because an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Did people get it right? Tons. Everybody. Yes. Lots and lots of right answers. You think these riddles are too hard and then the kids prove you wrong. They do. I'm like, every time an email comes in, it it actually goes bing. It goes bing. Logan, can you do it again? Uh, And and then it's another right answer. And I'm just shocked because uh, these, I find these difficult. Okay. Well, are you ready for this week's? Uh, Probably not, but I will bing my best. (laughs) That didn't really work, but. Didn't really work, but it's in keeping with everything else you say on this podcast. (laughs) Okay. So here's this week's riddle. Okay. Once there was a policeman. Okay. By the name of um, Clark (laughs) Kermit Dodge. Bucket. Clark Termage, Kermit this, Dodge Bucket. Uh, okay. uh, it is Clark, anyway. Clark, uh, okay. Uh, hard to come up with names on the spot. Agreed. Should have planned ahead. Uh, and he was called to the scene of a crime as police. Officer, officer Bucket. Officer, <laughs> officer uh, Kermit Dodge Bucket. <laughs> officer K... KDB. KDB. <laughs> uh, and it was, a, it was a robbery of a jewelry store that he gets called to. Oh, it's probably a million dollars of jewels. So, hey, how many zeros in that jewelry? Mm-hmm. So, after he investigated the crime, he goes back to his police station, and he has to write his report of what he saw, as police officers do. Okay. So, he sits down, and he describes how at the scene, he met a guy named Tom, and Tom's father owned the store. And it's a beautiful jewelry store. With yeah. lots and lots of glass cases full of diamonds and beautiful lights shining on it, and there's even a coffee bar at the jewelry store. Like, are you are you adding details and, in to confuse me? What? No. Okay. And while investigating, he begins to believe that the suspects were uh, the owner's sons. Oh. They're faking the crime for their own benefit. They stole their own so, stuff. So he's or some he, they had somebody else steal it okay so while he's writing his report he realized he could only remember two of the names and he could remember jim and john but he couldn't remember the third son so 
The trouble is, without that third son, he couldn't finish his report. So he needs your help. Who is the third son of the jewelry store owner so he can finish his report? Officer, the crime? I gotta say, Officer Bucket, Clark Bucket, Clark, Kermit. Kermit, Dodge Bucket. Gotta bring a notebook to the scene of a crime. Thank you. You know, we wouldn't, <laughs> but on the other hand, we wouldn't have a riddle without it. I mean, I suppose not, but I mean, I, th- I, I, when we went to Officer Police Academy, <laughs> I remember that first day before we got Officer kicked out. training, yeah, right. Yeah. They were like, you probably should go do podcasts or something. There was no second day, but on the first day, uh, first they were thing like, they taught us. bring the notebook. Right. It's and good. then they were like, uh, step two, bring the pen. Yeah, right, yeah. And we were like, got well, it. Well, actually, it was a test because, I don't know if you remember this, it was a test. They said, bring a notebook. And the test was, would we be able to solve that we need to bring a pen the next day? Oh. And you forgot to. So they kicked us out. Yeah, they did not. I mean, they kicked me out too along with you because we're like a... I yeah, because like you a, were looking at my tests. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of that. Uh, so anyway, who was the third son of uh, of the the jewelry store owner Jim and Jim. Jim and John were the ones he could remember. Okay, and there's a third son. So who's the third son? All right. So that's this week's riddle. If you think you know it, what should what should they do if they think they know it? They should email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks dot com. That's right. And if you if you uh, if you send us the correct answer, you will get entered into our seasonal competition where we will give away book a book bundle to one lucky person who got at least one riddle correct this season and before we go thanks of course to pam Munoz ryan thanks to uh sd smith uh for sponsoring but also please go to the kickstarter for the golden road of tumbleweed thompson and be sure to uh to support that uh because we want that book to get published and you can help make it so you can be a part of publishing history yeah uh, by helping make that book. We, yes. I really want to see this book get made and we can all be a part of, of helping that happen. And yeah. the golden road of Tumbleweed Thompson, I want to know that story. I know, for real. I mean, how are we going to know how, how the story goes if it doesn't get kickstarted? Anyway, I don't want to get worked up about it, but this needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and so. once you've done that, once you've gone uh, and and helped this Kickstarter out, by the way, it's not a donation you, you, you get stuff. You get stuff. You get the book. It's like right, a pre-order. Exactly. It's a pre-order. Or you yeah. get the cool shirts or uh, it's yeah. some cool stuff. Yeah. After you've done that, head on over to uh, to your where you like to listen to podcasts and maybe leave us a review. You could tap that little star button. Yeah. And I mean, three you, stars, four maybe stars, fourth, ideally five, five, five stars. stars. Yeah. Yeah. That would be wonderful. We love seeing those reviews come in. Uh, we love reading uh, you guys' thoughts there and that helps our show. It helps get the word out. So, and of course it always helps when you share episodes and tell your friends and, uh, and tell your siblings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so again, thanks to Pam Munoz, Ryan, thanks to our, all of our sponsors and thanks to uh, Glenn McCarty for coming on and sharing his Western knowledge. Uh, Graham, thank you for, for coming here and eating snacks and telling stories with me. Goodbye. Oh, wait. You're welcome. Till next time, happy reading. Goodbye. <laughs>